Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want you to have the Word of God in your own lap. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we are continuing our study entitled The Joyful Life as we consider the book of Philippians verse by verse and what a blessing it's been, continues to be a blessing, and we encounter what is purely some of the most profound uh, text in the scriptures in Philippians chapter 2, primarily verses 5 through 11, where we're talking about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and the result of that. So if you would stand, we're going to read Philippians chapter 2. We looked at verses uh, 1 through uh, 8 already, but we're going to look primarily at verses 9 through 11, but we're going to read it because really in context, it all goes together. And so here is the Apostle Paul writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So with the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the powerful proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other Lord besides him. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and it's his lordship that we submit to here this morning. Lord, we ask you to just unveil yourself to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to see Jesus in full glory. We ask you to just come now. And Lord, we pray for that, whatever is going on there, Lord. We, <laughs> we pray in Jesus' name, whatever is going on there. But Lord, we do, in all sincerity, Lord, we ask you to quiet our own hearts and speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Hey, I feel like that sometimes, don't you? I mean, seriously. Hey, adulting is not easy. I mean, if I could, I would do that probably half the day, but Mike would kick me out of the office if I did that. So, uh, how many of you believe the fastest way down is up and the fastest way up is down? Think about it for a second. The fastest way down is up and the fastest way up is down. Why is that true? Because the Bible says so. That's why Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23, listen to what it says. Our one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The fastest way up, or the fastest way down is up, to become prideful, to become puffed up. But the fastest way up is down. He goes on to say, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Honored. This is the aerodynamics of the Christian life. If you want to experience exaltation, you have to first put on humility. And that is what the Apostle Paul is telling us here in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about what it looks like to be humble. And he gives us the incredible example of Jesus. This reminds me, this whole concept of aerodynamics of the Christian life reminds me of a story I heard about five men that were in an airplane. Uh, there was a kid, a preacher, there was a doctor, a pilot, and a lawyer. Uh, the pilot came on the intercom and he said, Mayday, Mayday, we're all going down. He said, there's only four parachutes on the plane. You decide who's staying, I'm jumping now. 
So he jumps out of the plane. Uh, the doctor then steps up and he says, listen, I've saved so many lives that I think that I deserve one of those parachutes. And so he grabs a pack and he jumps out of the plane. The lawyer immediately steps up and he says, I am the smartest man in the world. I have won more cases than anybody. I deserve to live. He grabbed a pack. He jumped out. The pastor then stands up and he goes over to the kid and he says, you know, I've lived a great life. I've lived a long life. I know I'm going to heaven. You take the last pack. And, and the kid turns and looks at him and he says, hey, chill out, man. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the airplane with my backpack. There's enough for both of us, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the fastest way down is up. And the fastest way up is down. Pride will get you. But humility pays. The Apostle Paul, again, is writing here to these Philippians, and he is explaining to them really the principle found in verses 3 through 4 that it's about humility. The Christian life is about humility. Paul also penned in the book of Romans uh, something very similar. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Listen, the reality is we need a correct estimation of ourselves, do we not? We need to have a correct estimation of ourselves. How do we have that correct estimation? Do we look to our friends and our family to tell us how great we are? Do we look to the world and the communities that we live in and, and everybody ex on the horizontal? Is that where we're finding the definition or the estimation of who we are based on what people think of us here on the horizontal? I hope not. I hope your, the estimation of yourself is not found in the, um, the amount of likes that you have on Facebook or the amount of followers you have on Instagram or whatever the case might be. That is an empty path, folks. And it is not the correct view. We have to be face-to-face -face with who we really are, and the only one that will tell us that is Jesus. The only one that will tell us that is the word who was made flesh, Jesus Christ. And he tells us through the scriptures, he helps us to understand who we are. We're sinners in need of a savior. And that savior came for us. And so if we want to have the correct estimation of ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves as we sit before the word. That's Paul saying, look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I was just talking to a brother the other day, and we, he was talking about a situation he's in, and he was just telling me, man, I'm a sinner. Correct. Correct. And that is the first, uh, you know, truth that we all have to come to grasp with is that we are sinners. We are not perfect. We have failed. And in fact, if we want to be really honest, we can say we have failed, what, miserably. We fail miserably. And yet, but by the grace of God, I go. It's by the grace of God. And, and, and so the idea is that we have to have that correct estimation so that we can appreciate the cost, that we can appreciate the cross, we can appreciate the Savior that was sent for us and what he's done for us. If we don't have the correct estimation, God is faithful to remind us. Aren't you thankful for that? He's faithful to remind us, isn't he? The, the Bible tells us in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. This was quoted by Peter and James, and they said it like this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, if you're not convinced that the fastest way down is up and the fastest way up is down, then you're not hearing this right. Pride will take you down, but humility will lift you up. Humility is the key that Paul is trying to get to. And so as we continue to work through these verses with the premise being that Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 is the principle. It's what he, that's when, when Paul, uh, you know, when the Holy Spirit began to write through Paul, the whole premise of what he's trying to say in these 11 verses is verses 2 and 3. It's what he's trying to help us understand. Do nothing uh, with selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, why is that so important? Why is that the principle? Because you can't have unity unless you apply these truths. You can't have unity in any sense of the word unity without applying verses 3 and, three and 4. You can't do it. You have to be humble. If you're going to be unified, because listen, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different likes and dislikes. We all have different preferences, right? But here's what happens in the body of Christ. This is what God had, had asked us to do. This is what Jesus did. He said, I don't care about my likes and my dislikes. I don't care about my preferences. What I care about is you. And I care about being in unity with you. Not what I want, but how can I serve you better? That's the whole premise of what he's saying. And when people apply that, it's called, unit, or called humility. When people have humility then there's unity. But if there's no humility, there is no unity. There was some issues in, the, in this church in Philippi. There was some schism that had gone on, and you can see in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 2, where Paul is saying, listen, there's two ladies that have a problem with each other. Uh, he says, why don't they just agree in the Lord? And, uh, you know, he's trying to draw back the hearts to say, listen, it doesn't matter what you think or what you think. What is what matters is that we stay unified. You know, what does the Bible say? And that's what, that's what he says. Agree in the Lord. What does God say about your issue? And anytime you have a disagreement with, with somebody, you as the bigger person, well, we won't say that, but we will because we're here. But, um, but we'll, if you're the bigger person, let's say you're the more mature Christian. Let's say it that way. You ought to yield to the, to, the, uh, to the less mature Christian, right? That's what the Bible says. Why? Because it's not about right and wrong. It, it's about, at the end of the day, it's not about preference. It is about right and wrong. It's not about preference. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I think. And so we, wanna, we want to, you know, bring it back to, what does the Word say? doesn't matter what I think. What does the Word say? And, and that's what Paul is doing, bringing it back to the Word. You want to be unified. God called us to be unified. And how is he going to unify us? If there is no humility, he can't do it. Paul gives us the prescription for unity in the body, how to obtain it and how to maintain it in verses 3 and 4. What's extraordinary about it is that, he, that God just didn't give us a prescription. But then he gave us an example, a perfect example, through the life of Jesus Christ. And so as he moves on in verses 5 through 11, now he's talking, here's example. This is what it looks like. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also. Or, or this version says, let this mind be, or have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The point is Jesus lived, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He lived it out. And, and so Paul goes on to explain how he lived it out. And that's what we looked at last week. The whole point of what he's trying to say is if you want Unity in any relationship you have, you just apply Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If you're having an issue in your marriage, immediately apply Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Consider her interests, his interests, more than yourself. Humble yourself in that relationship. If you have a parental issue, don't, don't exercise authority, exercise humility. They can go hand in hand. Jesus demonstrated that very perfectly. You can be authoritative and humble at the very same time. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. If you will apply these verses, at least 50% of the relationship will go, be going the right way. You're 50% of every relationship. You're 50% responsible for what happens to that relationship. And so that's why the Bible says do everything that you can to live at peace with all men. In verse 5, Paul gives us an exhortation to have the mind of Christ. He says you have it, but apply it. Then he goes on and gives us the example of the life of Christ in verses 6 through 8. He says, look, this is what the humble mind looks like. And then in verses 9 through 11, we find the exaltation of what a humble mind looks like. If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. But I've retitled the message this morning. It's called The High Life of Humility. 
the high life of humility, what, what we find are there's three aspects of the high life of humility that we're going to consider this morning. First, we'll consider the path that leads to the high life of humility. And then that path, we find there are positions of exaltation. And then we move on. Secondly, we're going to look at the poise in response to the high life of humility in verses 10 through 11a. And finally, the praise of the high life of humility. So we have the path, the poise, and the praise of the high life of humility. First, let's consider the path. Look at verse 9 there. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, what is the first question that you ask yourselves? Because you guys are all Bible students here. So what is the first question you ask yourself reading that verse? Exactly. There's a therefore. What is it therefore? Again, anytime you encounter a word like therefore, or, or because, or something like that. It's linking what he just said to what he's about to say. And so we, we can't just start it, therefore. You know, we don't, as I said a couple weeks ago, we don't wake up going, therefore. You know, we don't, we don't start a conversation, therefore. No, it's, it's a continuation of a conversation. So we can't start at therefore. We have to look back at what Paul was just saying. What was he just saying? He was talking about what the humility of Christ looked like in his life. Really, it's a degradation for Christ. It's a humbling of Christ. It is a downwardness of Jesus Christ. Paul just got done finishing telling us that Jesus, who was God, became a man, who became a lamb, who became a worm. Right? You remember that last week? Jesus, who was God, became a man. Step one, downward. Then he became a lamb, step two downward, then he became a worm, step three downward. This is the lowest point in the life of Jesus Christ when he was a worm. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus did not upgrade when he came. He downgraded. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What Paul's saying is, in his preeminence, he was God, but from eternity past, he always was and is and always will be God. He was, though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality to be God. What did he do then? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God stoops low, folks. Full of humility, he stooped down and became a man, emptying himself of his glory, his divine rights, his privileges. And he limits himself to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called the doctrine of kenosis. The doctrine of kenosis. You can look it up later. All it means is that Jesus Christ humbled himself and he emptied himself. He emptied himself. This is something that we should apply to our lives, that doctrine of kenosis, the emptying of oneself. He, he was in the form of God. Literally, he existed internally and externally as God. And then he emptied himself. He divested his rightful dignity, descending to an inferior condition. Literally, he became a base. God became a man. He became just like you. He was born in likeness of men, and he was limited to the same power you and I have. And yet, what does the Bible say? He was tempted as you were tempted, and yet he stumbled not. He was perfect in the same limitations as Adam had. God became man to become a lamb. He didn't just become a man, but, but it goes on to say that he became a slave. I don't like that word servant. It's not correct. You can cross it out. You can write the literal word slave. That's what he did. He became a slave. He became subservient to the will of the Father. Here is God, equal, equal with God. Something to be grasped, by the way. And yet he becomes subservient to the Father. Equality to subservient. Jesus became, he became a lamb. He became a sacrifice. Not only that, but then he became a worm. Notice verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
as if Jesus hadn't stooped low enough yet. The man became the lamb to become the worm. This was the Father's will. Isaiah 53 declares that it, that it pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? Because he knew the greater picture. He understood the greater picture. The greater picture is redemption, salvation, reconciliation for you and I. And that is part of the point. But to the greater point is to the glory of God, and we'll see that in a little bit here. But Jesus became a worm. David declared it in Psalm chapter 22, verse 4. You can look it up later. I talked about it last week, as you know. When it says worm in, in Psalm 24, 22, 4, it, it is literally the word tola in Hebrew. It's referring to a very specific worm called the crimson worm, a scarlet worm. It had this crimson red blood. And they would extract that blood and they would use it for dye. My wife was looking some stuff up last week about it after we talked about it last Sunday. And they used that dye to dye the, the priest's gown. They use it in all different types of things. But what's interesting about this worm is that it, the, the way that it would birth life, the way that it would give life, you know, reproduce or bring forth uh, offspring is that it would, it would climb up a tree, it would attach itself to the wood, and then it would explode. And the offspring would then eat the body of that worm, and the only thing that would be left is a crimson stain upon that tree. Cool. There's more. That crimson stain after, on the third day, would literally turn white and flake off and fall off the tree. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. Isn't that cool that God would make a worm? That's a literal worm, by the way. That God would make a worm like that. That, that, that would demonstrate what Jesus has done for us. He had to give his life so that we could have life. And he did it willingly. That is humility, folks. That is thinking so much of other people and not thinking about myself at all. It's amazing. That's what he's calling you and I to be. We are to have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The problem is we're not so much willing to die like he did. But that is the requirement, folks. A.W. Tozer, one of my faves, he says this. He said, in every Christian's heart, there's a cross and a throne. And the Christian, on the, the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at, at the bottom of all the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist Christ do all the dying. It's true. If you want to see the Bible, you know, come alive in your life, and you want to see these principles come off the pages and be worked out upon the footsteps in your life, then you have to die. That's why Jesus said, there's no other way to follow me except for first by denying yourself and then taking up your cross and following me. There's no other way. You have to become humble just like I did. That's what Christ has done for us. He has given himself over to us. He was the man who became the lamb, who became the word. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him. This is the path that leads to the high life of humility. The path that leads to the high life of humility is humility. That is the path. If you want to be exalted, you have to be humbled. This phrase here, highly exalted, it literally means super exalted or exalted with all exaltation. It literally means to give exceptional honor. How was Jesus exalted? How was he exalted? There, 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 positionally, he was exalted in, in several ways. First, he was, resurrect, or first he was resurrected. He, he didn't stay dead. David pinned it like this in Psalm 16.10. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. God didn't leave Jesus in the grave. Why? Because he was perfect. He was perfect, and therefore God resurrected him, and that was the, 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 that was the, the, uh, the, the 
example of God saying, I accept that sacrifice, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is the resurrection so important? Because it declares to you and I that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. What other person in the history of the world do you know was resurrected from the dead in this way? Bodily, to never die again. Not only did he, was he resurrected, but then there was, positionally, he was what? He ascended. He didn't stay here. He rose bodily, yes, but then positionally he ascended where? To the right hand of the Father. You recall that it was for 40 days after it, he rose that he appeared to man and he d declared and he continued to teach about the kingdom until his ascension. And then Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go in heaven. And we, we long for that day. <laughs> when it's a cloudy day, we look up. Maybe today. Maybe it'll be today, Lord. But... The point of it is that Jesus ascended. He was lifted up, up, up because he went down, down, down. Thirdly, he was given dominion over everything. Again, David writes this in Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. He says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Jesus positionally right now at this very moment sits at the right hand of the Father. This is a place, listen, of not only honor, but also of authority. It's a place of honor and authority. It was a declaration that Jesus was equal to the Father. When you put somebody in this, in the biblical sense of what happened here, where Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, on the horizontal level in, in, in this culture, if you were to take someone and sit them on your right, it would be a place of honor, but you're also saying you're equal with them. That's why at the seating of the disciples, it was very important who sat where. Can't my son sit on the right and the left? Can't they be the honored ones? Can't one of them have the authority that you have? Can't they be equal? Can your sons drink the cup that I'm about to drink? James and John, their mom, had this dialogue with Jesus. Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father, and it's a declaration that he has dominion over everything. And what is he doing at the right hand of the Father? Just exercising his authority? No, he's making intercession for you. That's the fourth thing that, that happened. Romans chapter, three, verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is one who died. More than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, for Christ has entered into the holy place, places made with, not made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not only was Jesus exalted through resurrection, ascension, dominion, intercession, but also, look at verse 9, he was given the name above every other name. The name above every other name. Now, this might come to surprise to many of you, as it did me as I'm studying this, that the name above every name is not Jesus. What? It's not Jesus, according to these verses. The name above every other name is Lord. The name above every other name is Lord. Jesus, uh, it, or Paul declares it in verse 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that, what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, why isn't it the name Jesus? Here's, here's a couple things. First and foremost, you realize the name Jesus was a common name in, in his culture. Like people walked around. When, when, <laughs> today, it'll stop a conversation. But back in biblical times, when you had a conversation with somebody and they said, hey, uh, you know that, that guy Jesus? They'd say, Jesus who? Not because they didn't know who he was. They were trying to figure out which one he was. Because they were, it was a common name. That's why they had to add the location geographically where they were from. Jesus what? Of Nazareth. Oh, that Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, okay, now I know who you're talking about. It was a common name. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. The name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus has, it's an exalted name, but, it, but Paul is declaring that there's a name above every other name. And it's the name Lord. In the Greek, it's kuros. It means possessor, owner, master. In the Hebrew, listen, it is the word Adonai. Adonai. That can be translated into what? The name of God. You know, back in, back in uh, when the scribes would translate the, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, they would not use God's name. They were afraid to use the name of God. They were afraid to use his real name, and so they would replace it with the most holy one or, or something like that, which got translated later to Adonai, which simply means Lord. It literally, in the Bible, if you look back, you can see the, the, when it's speaking about God, it's speaking about, it, it's used the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That can be translated Adonai or Yahweh, Jehovah. We don't really know his exact name because, and that's what I think is hilarious about the Jehovah Witnesses is they say, well, you gotta, you gotta proclaim his name. Well, we don't know his name, really. I mean, if we wanna be super technical about it, we don't really know his name, do we? Oh, yeah. But we're Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, you are. But, but listen, you can be Jehovah's Witnesses, but that doesn't mean you're his chosen people, right? Because here's the thing, is that we don't know his name. And, and, and in fact, they, they, they only used letters to declare who he was. I tell you all this because what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2 is that Jesus is Yahweh. He is saying he has been given the name above every name. Now, you might, you might even ask yourself, you know, when you think about, well, Jesus has the name above every name, does that mean his name is above the Father? No, they have the same name. Remember, they're equal. They have the same name. Jesus is not God the Father. They're two separate people, God the Holy Spirit being the third part of the Trinity, but they have the same name. Jesus was given the same name. Why? Because he humbled himself, he became obedient to death, he submitted to the will of the Father, and therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every other name. He is the Lord. The question is, is he your Lord? Is he your ruler? Is he your master? Are you his possession and are you his servant? As we already read, you know, as we'll read here, we find what will happen at the name of Jesus, the poise in response to the high life of humility, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, listen, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That, that phrase right there, so that, so that at, it's a proper, it's a purpose clause, what Paul is trying to say is that Jesus is given the name which is above every name for the purpose of or with the result being that every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. That's what it means. Paul didn't make this up, by the way. He didn't think like, man, what can I say here? Holy Spirit, what can I say here? No, he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, which says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Who is that speaking of? Adonai, the Lord. His name, Lord, is the name given above every other name. The poise in response to the high life of humility is one of bowing and confessing. In other words, everything that will exalt itself will be brought low in subjection to the Lord. Everyone that will exalt themselves and they will not bow here in the here and now will bow one day. Every tongue may not confess that Jesus is Lord here and now, but every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord then in eternity. 
You don't want to be on the other side of eternity declaring Jesus Christ as bowing your knee and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. You want to do that on this side of heaven. Because if you wait to do that, you will perish. For all of eternity, you will bow your knee and you will confess him as Lord, but it will not be in his presence. It's not a, this is not a game. This is serious business. That's why it's in the Bible. God wants you to understand what is going to happen. You have a choice today. You have a choice to, to bow your knee to Jesus, to become humble like he did, and to surrender your life, become subservient, to become a slave to him. Whatever you want, Lord. You're a slave, by the way, already. You're a slave to sin. Jesus wants to make you a slave to him, a slave to righteousness. But you will. You, you don't have to bow your knee today, but you will one day. You also don't have to declare him as Lord right now. But you will one day. You want to do that now. If you're not in relationship with God, you want to be in relationship with him today. Because here's the reality is none of us are promised tomorrow I mean, every day people are departing earth. And they weren't anticipating that that would be their day, were they? How many people do you know that just woke up one day and they died in some way? Disease or accident or whatever the case might be. And then we're, we're, we're saddened and, and, you know, because they're gone and yet we don't, we don't have to be. If, if we will, if our... If we will confess Jesus as Lord and bow our knee today, there is a greater, there's a greater place for us. And then we can rejoice when a believer goes to be with the Lord because we know for all of eternity where they are. You haven't lost them. You know exactly where they are. They're with the Lord. No better place to be. Listen, better is one day when we are in his physical presence. But you don't want to be in his physical presence without making this proclamation, without taking this position of humility. Paul is saying you want to be exalted, you, want, you, want to, you have to be humble, you want to be raised up in eternity, you have to bow now in submission. You have to confess him as Lord of your life and let him lead. And then he'll raise you up in the proper time. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Be humble so that for the purpose of, again, or the result being that in the proper time he may exalt you. The poison response to the high life of humility of, of Jesus Christ is one of bowing and confessing. We consider the path. We consider the poise. Now let's look at the praise. Paul goes on to say, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all for him. It was all for him. Jesus said it like this in high priestly prayer of John 17. In verses 1 through 5, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to, who, to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplish the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The ultimate point of the earthly existence of Jesus was to bring glory to the Father. That was the first and foremost, that his Father be exalted, that he be glorified. His life was all about the glory of God. And yet, to glorify the Father, the Bible goes on to tell us that we have to glorify the Son. If you want to glorify the Father, you have to glorify the Son. You cannot 
decrease the Son and exalt the Father. You exalt the Son and you exalt the Father at the same time. Why? Because they're one. Because they're the same. They have the same, they have the same name. That's why he, he's telling us this. Jesus said in John 5, verses, verse 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Oof. There's a lot of people who want to say they're following God, and yet they are degrading Jesus Christ. You are not. I'm sorry, but it says Jesus said it himself. John declared in 1 John 2, 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You want to glorify the Father, you have to glorify the Son. You want relationship with the Father, you have to have relationship with the Son. Jesus being worshipped brings glory to the Father. Jesus being exalted by being called Lord is to the glory of God the Father. Whatever you do to Jesus, you're doing to the Father. Jesus came to glorify the Father. He said in John 13, 31 through 32, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glory him and glorify him at once. It was all for the glory of God. The humility of Christ led to the honor of the Father. The lowliness of Jesus led to the loftiness of the Father. He lived for his glory alone. What about you? Who are you living for? Who are you exalting in your life? Who are you living to glorify? If Jesus, listen, if Jesus lived to glorify the Father, how much more should you and I live to glorify the Father? We do that by exalting his Son, by making his Son known, by making Jesus famous. That's why we proclaim Jesus to people. It's the name above all names, the name that, that we're, we are saved by, and yet it's the name that gives God the most glory. Even in his exaltation, Jesus still remains humble. What is he doing right now? He's making intercession for you and I. He's still doing work on your behalf. He's still serving you. Jesus didn't go to heaven and go, okay, I'm good. Now I'm just going to wait till I bring them all, all with me. No, no, he's serving you. Right now in heaven, he is serving you. He's interceding on your behalf. He's saying, Father, forgive them for that. He is, make, he is making intercession for you. Some of us have this mentality that we have come to Christ. Now we're just going to wait for the Father to come get us. We're going to wait for Jesus to come back. We're not serving anyone. We're actually serving ourselves. Not so much what Philippians 2 is saying. You hear that? What it's really saying is give your life over to the service for others. Give yourself over for others serve other people. You know, you, you, there's, there's a limit to your service, I understand, because some people are easier to love than others. But Jesus came down for the lowliest. And in fact, he's, he will say one day, what you've done to the least of those on earth, you've done to me. Serve. Serve him. If you're not serving him, if you haven't given your life over to him, if you're not in active ministry in some way, shape, or form. You need to get an active ministry. You are in ministry. The fact that Jesus said, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, he said that, and, and, and that's an act, and that's a lifelong commitment. Listen, there is no waiting to serve. I'll serve when I get to heaven. No, you serve now. And in fact, your service in heaven will be directly related to your service on earth. What you've done here translates to what you will do there. So you want to give your life over. Listen, if you're not serving the Lord today in some way, and it doesn't have to be in these four walls because it's not about these four walls. I'm talking about serving Jesus, not serving Calvary Chapel. But you should serve. You should serve the body. You should serve the body of Christ, whether it's here or somewhere else. You should be serving in some way. That's what Christians do. That's what followers of Christ do. 
because that's what Jesus has done and is doing right now. So we want to serve as Jesus did. He did it all for the praise of the Father. What is your motive in life? Who are you living for? These are questions that maybe you shouldn't think about and answer right now, but maybe you should think about and meditate on that question and ask yourself and look at your life and say, where's the proof? Because we're all going to, oh, yeah, I'm serving Jesus, but where's the proof? Now, here's what I'm not saying. You're saved that way. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing at all. You serve because you're saved. You don't serve to get saved. You feel me on that? You, you're not doing this because that's how you get saved or you find more favor with God. You do this because you already have his favor and you already have been saved. He's changed your heart. It's no longer about you. It's about others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, in closing, I just want to mention this. Many theologians believe that Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, was a hymn that they used to sing back in the day. You know, they, they would just go around, and Paul, perhaps even, you know, quoting this hymn that they would sing. It's an incredible truth. And by the way, it's a wonderful way to remind yourself of who you're called to be and why you can do what you're called to do because of what Jesus has done for you. You know, we, we can wake up, man, and we can sing these verses daily and get ourselves centered on what we're supposed to be about. Because I tell you what, there are dangling carrots everywhere. There are lures, really shiny ones that we like. And we're like, ooh, that looks good. And next thing you know, you're drawn away. It happens that fast. Center yourself by coming to grips with these verses and quote this to yourself daily. Quote to yourself, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somebody put some music to that, and let's sing that here. Amen? More, more importantly, let's not just sing it, but let's live it. Take on humility like Christ took on. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the demonstration of what the mind of Christ looks like, this humble mind that would make its way into the feet and hands and to the eyes and ears and the mouth of Jesus. And we want to be just like him. We understand, Lord, the greatness of who you are, the vastness of who you are and what you've done, that you came down to become a man for us. Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves, that we wouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, that we wouldn't think too lowly of ourselves either, Lord, but we would have the correct estimation of who we are. Lord, we ask you to birth in our hearts this humility that produces unity, that makes its way into service to one another. Lord, we, we know that that takes sacrifice. We know that that requires us to prioritize. And so we ask even right now, Lord, we give you over our schedules. We give you over... Our finances, we give you over everything that we are, and we say even today, Lord, it's all yours. Do what you like, whatever you want. I'm yours, whatever you want to do. I just want to serve you. You serve me. You continue to serve me. 
And so, Lord, we just ask that you put something specific in our hearts today that we can leave here going, okay, I have direction, I have guidance, I know what I'm called to do. And so come by your spirit and speak to us, Lord. And as we continue to pray, Lord, every eye closed and every head bowed, Lord, we know that there is a call to salvation this morning to some that aren't in right relationship with you. You want them to know that you didn't just die for the world, but you died for them. That you didn't raise again from the dead for just the world, but for them personally. And if that's you this morning, God wants to bring you in right relationship. He wants to, he wants to bring you into that place of reconciliation with the Father. But it requires bowing and confessing. And so if that's you this morning, you can just say a simple prayer as you have the attitude of your heart bowed before the Lord. And you can say, Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you today. I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me believe that he rose again from the dead for me so that I can be saved. And I want to receive him as not just my Savior, but my Lord. I thank you for making me a Christian. Now help me to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Son. In Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father, that anyone who would confess and bow before you is in right relationship. And it's an attitude of the heart. It is a is it a turning over of everything that we are? Help us to remember those of us who have done that maybe some time ago today, that that is still the call on our lives. We turn it all over to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.